Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Telling you, I am more deeply into the Christmas spirit following our sanctuary choir and orchestra program on Sunday night. That is one of the highlights of my year every year. And uh, oddly enough, the day that the church voted on me was the day that they were having the sanctuary choir and orchestra Christmas program. And so that night I came back, left a family Christmas gathering early, and uh, that was my first experience. Um and sat next to John Michael Huffman on the back row and loved it and looked around thinking, why in the world did this church just call me to be their pastor? Bless their hearts. And so now, uh, I guess that was my ninth uh, program. So, um, man, it's just phenomenal. Um, I'm so grateful for the for the incredible talent that the Lord has brought to First Baptist Church and, and people's willingness to use their gifts and talents and abilities to serve uh, the Lord and to bless all of us. And so I am, I am smiling big today. It's just a, just a remarkable experience. And I'll tell you, I was a little concerned that the, the uh, stage would, wouldn't hold all those people. I mean, there were a lot so of many people on there and, uh, lot of choir and then of course the youth choir was up there and our orchestra was up there and um, just so very thankful because you know a lot of people don't realize how much work goes into those sorts of things oh, and yeah. and not only of the performers but I'm, I'm sitting here with you and Elliot and you guys have been a part of that from the tech aspect and from the broadcast aspect and there's just so much that goes into that and uh, I was watching Elliot and his team start to break down the tech and the number of microphones and all the stands and just it's just so much so thank you to you all Thank you to Chad and his broadcast team for the work that they did uh, live streaming that. I got a text from a friend of mine who's a professor at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, who was bragging on that experience last night. He was able to watch it because of our live stream. And uh, we had somebody had somebody come up to me afterwards and take a selfie with me and say, I just want to send this to my friend in California who's watching. Um, <laughs> and I'm like... You know, it's pretty amazing that the Lord allows us from the corner of 12th and Chestnut to uh, share the message of Jesus through all sorts of various experiences that go out through that live stream. And so particularly you guys um, have been instrumental in making that happen. And uh, I can remember um, at the start of 2020, you and, and Elliot and Dave Beckley we're researching, and your mom too, Cheryl, we're researching what's the best way for us to do live stream. And we did, and then COVID hit. And it was like the Lord said, look how I've prepared you in this way. And so it's just, it's just pretty amazing to see how that continues to bear fruit in people's lives. Actually, um, speaking of, along those lines, I uh, got a report last week of a gentleman in Colorado who gave his life to Christ mm. through our live stream. And wow. uh, that's no pretty remarkable. Yeah. yeah. So you just you never know what God's going to do. And it's another way of sowing the seed of the gospel into people's lives. And um, 
when you scatter seed, you're not real sure what's going to happen, but you, you plant it, you water it, and God gives the increase, and we're grateful for that. Amen. And we're going to put the links to these performances down in the show notes so you can watch these even though they've already happened. And Jeff, uh, there are several things coming up here at First Baptist here in the coming weeks. I mean, Christmas Eve, uh, the Christmas Eve service is on December 24th. So, yeah. So Christmas Eve is on the 24th this year. But Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, and so we will have our normal morning worship at 11 a.m. That will be the Advent Sunday of love, and then that evening at 5 p.m., we will have our Christmas Eve service, and I have to tell you, um, that's my favorite experience of the year. Uh, I think one of the hardest sick days I ever had to take in my entire time of being alive was in 2019, my wife and I contracted some sort of bug that just wiped us out. And I had to call David Tooley early that morning and say, David, you got to do it, man. I can't, you know, I, I can't even crawl out of the mattress I'm laying on upstairs in my bonus room trying to keep the rest of my family away from me. Um, and uh, I just love the Christmas Eve service so much. We will, of course, end the service, Lord willing, with Silent Night, um, a song, incidentally, that is the exact same age as our church. That song was written on Christmas Eve, 1818. Our church was founded in June of 1818, and so um, our church is as old as Silent Night, and we will sing that together to the illumination of candlelight, and then we will go out into the evening. But I hope you can make it. Um, my goodness, we had such a great crowd here for the Sanctuary Choir and Orchestra program, and um it is so beautiful when that sanctuary is just filled with people who come home and, and, and we have kids that are away at college and we haven't seen them for a while and they come back and even people that have moved away come back. And so it is just such a special time. And so I want you to know, listener, um, even if you've never walked into First Baptist Church, we would love for you to be here. Um, that morning, we're going to get to celebrate several baptisms, and I think that that is such a beautiful thing. This is the outworking of the incarnation, that Christ has come for us, and he has come that our lives might be transformed. And so we will have some folks who will profess that their lives are being transformed by Jesus Christ, who is their personal Lord and Savior that morning. So um, that's another thing. If you have yet to follow Christ in the obedience of biblical baptism by immersion according to your own volition, um, would love for you to consider doing that um, either on Christmas Eve or as we get into the new year. No better way to celebrate those milestone moments than by professing your faith in Christ. So let us know if that's something we can be helpful to you um, in scheduling and in, in bringing about. And the best way to get in touch with us about getting baptized is to email Jeff, and that's just jreynolds at firstbaptistbg.org. So, speaking of being round yon virgin mother and child. <laughs> Great transition. Yeah. We're going to be talking about Mary and Joseph today and uh, a lot about the incarnation of our Messiah. So, this week's scripture passage was Luke 1, 46 through 45, which is also called the Magnificat. It's, it's Mary giving this prophetic utterance about Jesus, who she was going to give birth to. So there are several passages about uh, Mary and Joseph. There's uh, Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2 that really talk about their story. So we're going to be kind of referencing uh, from both of those passages here. So 
My first question is that there seems to be a gap in time between when Gabriel the angel tells Mary that she's pregnant with Jesus, and then when an angel, maybe Gabriel, uh, tells Joseph in a dream that she is pregnant indeed, you know, by the Holy Spirit. So why does God give this gap in time and tell them separately? You know, it's not like Abraham and Sarah where it's like, you know, instantaneously telling them both at the same time what's going down. Why is there this gap between when one of them is told and when the second one is told? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll say there's not really a biblical answer. I can't say, well, chapter this, verse this says this. But uh, so this is conjecture. This is this is what I think might be the case. I think that um, it was important for all of us who would read this story to see how God has has affirmed it both to Mary and to Joseph. Um, you have two separate accounts of of people. You know, there could be an accusation of some sort of delusion that that even this group think that this we 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 had this vision and and this is what it is but but no you have two separate instances of angelic visitation sharing this news um i think it's beautiful that you have matthew's account and you have luke's account um that's another benefit to to having more than one gospel so you have matthew and luke both telling this story but again giving different perspectives of the story and i think that helps strengthen uh, the story in our eyes, I think it helps strengthen our faith to see that God visited by his angelic messengers, both Mary and Joseph. Now, there had to be a conversation. I mean, they, they, they had to talk about it. We don't have a biblical record of that. And so in the sermon on Sunday, I kind of played out what that might have looked like. And I, and I think that, I think that any of us can kind of think through that situation, given that Joseph was going to divorce her quietly and see that it was not the easiest of conversations. You know, Joseph didn't buy it at first. Um, and then God showed up to convince Joseph. And so perhaps that's even it, that if, that if some of us struggle with the idea of the virgin birth, we can see that Joseph himself struggled with the idea of the virgin birth, and God sent his messenger uh, to affirm that that's what he was doing. And so a lot of different reasons why it could be the case. That'll be a question that when we get to glory, we can ask after we've been there for a while and, you know, have have uh, uh, had opportunity to think through some things and learn some things. But yeah. it's a great question. I like that answer. I think this is one of those instances where people in the Bible have a difficult choice and they they make a choice. And even if it's not like, you know, potentially the best choice in the in the moment, they made the a good choice. Yeah. So I'm thinking specifically of Joseph. You know, he's presented with this information from Mary, and it does not seem, at least on the surface reading, that he believes what she's saying. Right. But he decides to, you know, divorce her quietly and send her away quietly. Yeah. Which does speak to his character that he wants to take care of her. Even if she's being, you know, deceitful to him and bringing shame to him, he's going to do the best he can by her. Yeah. With you know what he understands is the truth, which says a lot about him. I mean, yeah. it really does. I mean, if you think about it, um, <laughs> on the surface, it looks like Mary has cheated on him, and uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, and nevertheless, he is exhibiting tenderness toward her. Um, so 
Good for Joseph. You know, he kind of sometimes gets lost in the story. Um, he is, uh, as as all fathers are on childbirth, he's kind of incidental to the story. <laughs> uh, having, you know, both of us have, have been in that room and uh, multiple times. And it's like, yeah, we're, we're here for support. That's what, you know. And so um, Joseph played a big role. And then Joseph became the adoptive father of Jesus and raised him as his own and taught him how to be a tecton, which is the word that we translate carpenter. Um, but, you know, Jesus likely worked with stone, likely worked with wood, and that was all because of Joseph, um, who might not have been his biological father, but was his adoptive father and in every sense um, was his dad, the one that raised him up. And... Um, that's a beautiful picture. It is. Well, and so that's my next question, which is the big question, which I asked some version of last year, but I'm going to ask it again because it's seasonal and it's a big question and I like hard questions. So uh, you say he's his adoptive father, but you know Jesus is said to be a descendant of David. Um, he has to be the son of David to reign on the throne of David, um, but Jesus is born of a virgin birth. So how can he be the son of David if he's the son of God. Sure. Well, and, and that's an apologetic question because there are people who raise that objection. Uh, there's a couple of ways that scholars go with this. Um, one, some would say that it's Mary's line. You know, there's a couple of div- divergent views about Mary's line. Because she's a relative of Elizabeth, does that mean that she is a descendant of Aaron and therefore a descendant of Levi? Others would say, no, Mary is also a descendant of Judah uh, through a different branch in the family tree. And so some would say, well, that's the that's the way. Um, others would say that because Joseph became the adoptive father of Jesus, that his family line applies to Jesus nevertheless. And so what we do know, however, is that in Scripture, Jesus is referred to in the New Testament as the son of David um, throughout the New Testament. And so whatever the, the, the case may be, the Bible is firm in the fact that Jesus is the son of David. David uh, Jesus even mentions that, you know, in asking the, the teachers, the scribes, how can the Christ be the son of David when David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And, and, um, and so Jesus asks this hard question, how can he call him Lord who is his descendant? And so, again, Jesus is teaching that, that to be the Messiah is a big deal. Um, but let me say this also. I think um, when we think about adoption, it is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. First of all, the Bible says that when we come to Christ, we are adopted uh, into the family of God through Christ. You know, we are grafted onto the tree to use a different analogy, but we were not natural born members of the family of God. We were sinners separated from God. And God has has brought us in and called us his own. And he's done that through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people who have been adopted. And they are deeply grateful in most cases, for the adoptive parents in their lives, although I've had some say that, you know, they've been told, yeah, you're in our family, but there's an asterisk next next to your name in the family tree, which is just jarring. I can't imagine saying that to, to my yeah. child, but 
But nevertheless, um, I think we see here a picture of adoption means you're ours. You 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 belong in this family. You don't have an asterisk next to your name. You you are you are ours. And and I love adoption proceedings in court. It's it's the best time to go to court. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they will ask the adoptive parents, "Do you um, understand that once these proceedings are finalized?" This child will become to you as one biologically born from your bodies. And do you understand that this child will become an heir to your estate as one biologically born from your body? And and um, and the parents answer in the affirmative. And it's so incredible. And then the last question is always, do you love this child? And they say yes. And so... Um, we're big believers in adoption here at First Baptist Church, and I think any follower of Christ ought to be a big proponent of adoption. And um, so I say all that to say um, Jesus was recognized as the son of Joseph. Um, in Nazareth, uh, people marveled at him and said, is this not the carpenter's son? And and don't we know his mother and his brothers and sisters who are here? Um, so... You know, there's there's really something to the fact that Joseph raised Jesus as his own, um, but that that adoption, uh, I think, is the the key factor in saying yes, he's very much uh, of the lineage of David. Otherwise, in in Matthew's gospel in particular, um, you have in chapter one, you have the genealogy starts at Abraham. Got to be a, a descendant of Abraham to be ethnically Jewish. Well, salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is Jewish, and he is a son of Abraham, uh, but he is also a son of David, and um, and so he is able to sit upon the throne of his father David forevermore. Yeah, and I appreciate that D. Thomas Lancaster has pointed out that there are only two gospels that talk about the virgin birth: it's Matthew and Luke. But there are only two Gospels that give genealogies for Jesus, Matthew and Luke. Mm -hmm. So the two people who are making the case that there was a virgin birth are making the case that he counts as the Davidic Messiah. Right. So whatever we make of that and however we reconcile that, we should be confident that the Gospel writers reconciled it and thought it was totally fine. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so I want to shift a little bit for today's practical application question, but it's related to what we're talking about because, you know, Jesus and all of his Jewish brethren faced Roman persecution at the time that he was walking on the earth, and the Jewish people have uh, continued to face anti-Semitism from that point onward, even until today. So today's practical application is specifically about events, you know, that we're seeing in the world today, even in America. So, you know, Jeff, you were the one that pointed out that uh, here very recently— um, three presidents of American universities, Harvard, MIT, and UPenn, said that uh, th- they were before Congress and they would not say that calling for the genocide of Jews was against their university policies. Which is crazy, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, you know, highest levels of American institutions are refusing to say that calling for genocide of the Jews is, you know, demonstrably always a bad thing. They said, <laughs> no, context matters. Is yeah. what they said. And, and if you change that group to any other group whatsoever on the face of the earth, if you call for the mass killing of whatever group you want to put in here, fill in the blank, anybody 
with a brain should be able to say, yes, that is that is not okay. That is against our conduct policy. And in fact, the president of UPenn has resigned. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I, I just think that is the craziest thing in the world, that they are before Congress and given multiple opportunities to say, yes, calling for the genocide of an ethnicity is wrong, is against our standards of conduct and all those sorts of things. And but all three of them repeatedly said, well, if it became action, okay, okay, again, replace the Jewish people then, if that's the issue, with any other ethnic group on the face of the planet, I promise you they would say, yeah, no, that's that's wrong. We can't have that. That's that's not allowable. That doesn't fall under the protection of free speech calling for the murder of a people group. Um, so it's just it's just it's sickening to me that that is in the halls of our Congress in the United States of America in 2023. I mean, that that sounds like something you would read about in the in the history books leading up to World War II. And you would shake your head and say, I cannot believe that they would not condemn the calling for widespread murder of an entire ethnic group, whatever that ethnic group may be. And yet, that's what we saw unfold. And uh, I had the opportunity last week to meet with a group of, of businessmen here in our city um, and just provide some context to this entire Arab-Israeli conflict um, Going back, frankly, I told him, I said, guys, hold on. We're going to cover about 4,000 years of history um, in the next 40 minutes. So, And we did. We, we started back at Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, uh, when God called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees, and we saw God's promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, but that also in Genesis chapter 15, particularly, that, that Abraham and his descendants would be given this land. And we saw that promise pass from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and, and to the tribes. And we look at the, the, the dispersion of the tribes within the land and um, how God has given that. I mean, there are people who believe that the Jewish people uh, hadn't lived in that part of the country since 19, or until 1948. And it's like, you know, okay, come on. We are literally going back. God made the promise to Abraham in 2091 B.C., and BC goes down to zero essentially in eighty. So you add, you know, twenty ninety one to twenty twenty three, and and you've got well over four thousand years ago, and there have been Jewish people dwelling in that land uh, ever since they crossed over the Jordan, uh, and Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, and all those things happened, and so. Um, this is not a new phenomenon whatsoever. This is a promise of God. Um, these people, um, the Jewish people, are frankly surrounded by people that, that would love to see them gone. And the adage that you hear is that the fundamental um, conflict between organizations like Hamas, which has been recognized by the United States of America as a terrorist organization— um, organizations like Hamas and the Jewish people, well, is, the fundamental disagreement that is ongoing is that organizations like Hamas believe that the Jews should be wiped off the face of the earth, and the Jewish people believe that they shouldn't be murdered, and neither side is willing to bend on their position. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where we are. Um, 
you know, you think about why is it that there are people, including those three university presidents, who cannot give full-throated um, affirmation of the fact that the Jewish people should not be killed? <laughs> why, 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 is, why is a call for the genocide of the Jewish people not utterly reprehensible? And, I mean, I've, I've heard several people offer several answers that there is a misunderstanding based on who is the oppressor and who is the oppressed and who is the occupier. And, who, and, and again, I just cannot understand, you know, we disagree with policy, fine, disagree with policy. That doesn't call for the genocide of an ethnicity. Um, we disagree with with certain Israeli positions on certain matters. That does not require calling for the genocide of an ethnicity. That is the craziest thing I can imagine. And so, um, your question, the listener question, is is why is that the case? Well, I think I think quite frankly, um, God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he has, he has chosen this people, the people Israel. He has raised up from the people Israel, from the root of the stump of Jesse, um, a branch. Jesus has come, and he has opened the way for all people, Jew and Gentile alike, to be in relationship with Almighty God. And Romans 9, 10, and 11 tell us, without question, there is a future for Israel. Now, that will involve full affirmation of every person who's in heaven affirming that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah to the glory of God. Um, But there's a future for Israel, and the Bible talks about the future for Israel. And so I think that there is a demonic aspect of hatred toward these people that God has chosen and whom God will graft back in through the work of the Messiah, Jesus. And so um, I, several of the guys asked me um, while we were meeting, you know, how can this be happening in the United States of America? And I said, that's a great question. I mean, how could it be happening anywhere? Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, if you, if you ask the question, you know, if somebody came to me and said, Pastor Jeff, you're the senior pastor of First Baptist Church Bowling Green. If somebody came to First Baptist Church Bowling Green and said, I want to call for the genocide of any group of people, I don't care who they are, would that be outside of the realm of what you would expect to be the code of conduct at First Baptist Church? And the answer is yes. It doesn't matter who they are. Yes, that is, that is reprehensible. And so um, I think we need to pray but we need to realize that there, there are forces at work here that are greater than what we are able to see and perceive with our eyes and our senses. Um, and I think we need to continue to seek God's intervention. I'll say this again, too. Listen, not all Palestinians are Hamas. No. Hamas is not all Palestinians. I have a dear friend and his wife who are um, Arab Israelis, they live in Jerusalem, just down the street from another dear friend of mine who is an Israeli who lives in Jerusalem, uh, who is a Jewish man. Uh, both of these men are dear friends of mine, and they're dear friends of one another. They love each other. We hug each other when we see each other. They hug each other when they see each other. And so this is not to say that all um 
all Arabs in this part of the world, hate all Jews in this part of the world. That's not true at all. Um, I've seen that firsthand. And it's a beautiful thing to see that, you know, they, they view each other as human beings and friends and neighbors and, and, and countrymen and all those sorts of things. Um, but then there are the terrorist organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah and, you know, the, the, the Ayatollahs of Iran and, and all of that, that they, they not only want to see the removal of the state of Israel, they want to see the wiping off of the face of the earth of the Jewish people and, um, and how anyone can identify with a terrorist organization and affirm that in any regard is beyond me. And I think it's beyond reprehensible. It is. And I think you're totally right that it's demonic work of anti-Semitism in the world. I'm, yeah. I mean, it's not, it, it's not a logical thing. There are very vulgar, violent societies that have had pogroms and anti-Semitic you know, crimes against the Jewish people. And then there are very elite, well-educated societies, Nazi Germany, that, you know, commit the Holocaust. Um, it's not a thing of intelligence. It's not a thing of education or any of that. It, it really is just Satan and evil being at work in the world and just a byproduct of that. The, the chosen people are just being hated because they're chosen in some way. And, you know, God is at work in them even today. And, and, you know, my, my follow-up question is just like, what do we, what can we do? I mean, there's so many people who, you know, again, the highest universities in America are giving these very slick answers for why, you know, the genocide of the Jewish people eh, it might be on the table because there might be a context where saying the genocide of the Jewish people is an acceptable thing to think. Don't do it, but you can think it. You know, what, how do we... And you can call for it. Yeah. Like, what, what, what do simple people like me do against that i think that the most important thing we can do is pray you know prayer accomplishes things god tells us not to be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to present our requests to god and the peace of god which passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in christ jesus and so that is step one the second thing i think is clarification helping people know um you know i i had a guy um, engaged me in conversation about this, and he said after our conversation, well, I was wondering who I should be rooting for, and now I know. Thanks for clarifying some things, because quite frankly, although I think all, well, the vast majority of thinking people know that there is an Arab-Israeli conflict, um, they don't know the ins and outs. They don't understand. And listen, I've got a bookshelf full of books on this that, I mean— it is a deep dive, and when I was preparing to talk to this group of men last week, I mean to tell you, it was an overwhelming prospect to say, how do I summarize 4,000 years of history in 40 minutes, simultaneously speaking about the, the birth of Hamas and the uprising of Hamas and where they came from, and that in their specific charter, part of their stated reason for existing is getting rid of not only the state of Israel, but the Jewish people. So they, they, they make no bones about saying that, that you can go and read that in their charter yeah. uh, from 1988 1989. So uh, it is a daunting task to kind of wrap your mind around what is this conflict and why is this conflict. But I think it's important to do that. 
The other thing that I think is important, you know, while we were in Israel, there in Jerusalem, there's the the Holocaust Museum. And I've I've been to a concentration camp. I've been to Dachau. And and I'll say there has never been a place where I have more palpably sensed the presence of evil than at Dachau. Um, even though that's it was years after all those atrocities took place, and they had torn down the dorms. They didn't want anybody going into the dorms, so there, but there are the foundations of the dorms. And you walk into the crematoria, multiple. That That's plural for a reason. There's more than one crematorium um, because they needed them. And you walk into the showers that were disguised as showers. They were gas chambers. Now, at Dachau, they didn't use the gas chambers. They shot everybody on a firing line. And then you walk over to a plot of ground that is um, not very big at all and see that there are thousands and thousands of human beings buried here because they were cremated and and they were buried in this plot. And, um, you know, it's just, it's jarring. And then you go to the Holocaust Museum, and, and one of the things that you see, and I haven't been to the one in D.C., but I understand it is, it is phenomenal. Is the propaganda that preceded the Holocaust that people calling for the genocide of the Jews um, and and doing that in terms of posters and literature and leaflets and pamphlets and and all those sorts of things and it was okay and it turned into the the extermination of six million human beings and I have a friend who. Uh, who exists because um, his father had a wife and children, and his mother had a husband and a baby, and they were both sent to Auschwitz. And after Auschwitz was liberated, only his father and his mother remained. In other words, his father lost his wife and children. His mother lost her husband and baby, uh, they were killed by the Nazis. And you got to remember, this is in 1945. There weren't iPhones. There, you know, news was not, you know, just turn on the TV and get the news. Um, they thought all the Jews had perished. And they were some, the, the survivors at Auschwitz were, were some of the very few who survived. And so immediately their goal became, okay, get married and have babies. We have to replenish Judaism. We have to replenish our entire ethnicity. And uh, can you imagine, first of all, feeling that? So, so they did. They married, and my friend was born to them. And they moved out of Europe. They didn't want to live in Europe anymore, so they moved to what was then called Palestine and what in 1948 became uh, Israel. And uh, so my friend grew up in Israel. He is about the same age as the country, 75. And um, I cannot imagine what his parents went through. I just can't imagine. Um, And uh, we have a member of our church who whose mother was at Auschwitz, and she survived. And she did an interview where she shared some of the horrors of what she, I mean, you lost her sister. Um, t- talks about being separated. Talks about the way the guards treated them. To, I mean, they were treated like animals. I mean, it's just, it is reprehensible. And how, how in 2023, some of the most educated people 
on the planet can't look at that history and say, yeah, no, students, you're not going to call for the genocide of a people group. And um, that just blows my mind. So all that to say, what can a person do? Pray and and be educated on the the what really is going on, and um, and again, policy disagreements are one thing. Mm-hmm. Calling for the murder of a of an ethnic group is another. So let's let's be honest and let's differentiate between a policy disagreement and calling for the murder of a group of people. And uh, and then let's be honest that we shouldn't call for the murder of any groups of people at all. Um, and, um, and then let's move forward together in that regard. Amen. Thank you. Eminently practical advice for moving forward in this just difficult and crazy time. Um, Jeff, as always, is very helpful and practical advice. Thank you for that. Listeners, if you have any uh, questions that you would like us to tackle in this segment with practical application questions, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, can you pray us out for today? Yes, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Messiah, Jesus, that wonderful baby born at Bethlehem. We recognize that he is the second person of the Holy Trinity, and so Jesus has always existed. There has never been a time when he was not. There never will be a time when he will not be. He is co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. He is fully God, and we thank you that through the womb of the Virgin Mary, he entered human history. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, we are so overwhelmed that you would so love us that you would come to us, that we might be with you, that we might behold your glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, Lord, we pray that we would magnify Christ in everything that we are and everything that we do. Lord, that we would call all people to know that there's a God in the heavens who loves them and who, who wants to redeem them through Jesus. And then, Lord, as we trust and follow Jesus, to, to actually live out our faith in a way that blesses people. Father, we continue to pray for uh, the wars going on around the world between Russia and Ukraine and, and between Hamas and Israel. And, Lord, we pray for your intervention and um, well, we pray for your protection of the Jewish people and the innocents who are who are being involved. Many uh, many who are being used as human shields by a terrorist organization. Uh, we pray for your intervention. And Lord, as Christmas approaches, we confess that you are the Prince of Peace, and so we look to you, and we pray for peace. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fu Ying Engdahl.